toss a coin to the Empire podcast because hot on the heels, and by that I mean several weeks after, the second season of Netflix's The Witcher, we are thrilled to bring you the Empire spoiler special for all things season two. As tribute to season one, this podcast will play out in three separate, though in no way signposted timelines, each compressed into increasingly short periods to maximise confusion. Uh, we'll also hear from the show's creator, showrunner Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick, yes, she, of West Wing Writers' Room fame, who will talk us through all the ups and downs and ins and outs as we go on a wild hunt for every major plot development of this series. But before we get into all that, I should, of course, introduce my three fellow witches, each of whom have braved the trial of the grasses to be with us here today. First up, our resident sorceress, troublemaker, and incautious wielder of chaos, it's Helena of Port Stewartburg. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, Helen. Hi. With us also is, of course, elf insurgent Amonomir of the Scoyatel. Hello. Scoyatel, interestingly, means squirrel. Just, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> and finally, of course, Dan, the urchin of Hertfordshire. Fuck. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, look, before we get deep, 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 deep into this one, uh, let's let's start with some some background stuff. Tell me about your experience with all things Witcher. Have you read Sapkowski's books? How did you get introduced to the world? Clearly, Helen's a massive gamer, so that would have been her way in. Mm, but for everyone yeah. else, super gamer. How did you meet Geralt? I pressed X and C and left and right and just made things jump and stuff. It was amazing. That's yeah. exactly how it works. Is it, is it? Yes. It's not Manic Minor, Helen. I don't know, do I? That's or the Jet point. Set Willy. Uh, I, I thought it was Worms, personally. Look, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have not played a, a frame of the game. I have read only one of the books, actually. I've been Which meaning one, to read more. The first one. Oh, yeah, the last one. The last, mm. which makes no sense as a first one title, just FYI, if you're yes. launching a series, don't call the first one the last wish. Weird. Um, but yeah, I like them. I've been mean to read more. I've just been busy. So yeah. Yeah. I read The Last Wish and I started reading Blood of Elves and I got about a third of the way in and gave up. Ooh, that doesn't bode well for this season. <laughs> but I, I did play, I played The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 3, but I never played the first Witcher because I think that was PC only. Wasn't it, James? It was, yes. It was, yes. So I've played the two consoles. that were available on consoles. So that's kind of how I know the world and the character and everything. And it's probably the reason why I'm really crap with all the place names and character names, mm. as opposed to things like whatever, Lord of the Rings or, well, The Wheel of Time to a certain extent, although I gave up on that as well. I dare you. <laughs> three, three books in and I just thought, this is just going in circles, isn't it? <laughs> so wait, so you was don't it? have my book 12 then? Okay. <laughs> I was first introduced to The Witcher by going on a website called Netflix.com. Uh, searching The Witcher and pressing play. I uh, have not played the games, nor have I read the books. Uh, I know. Oh, you're a noob. You're a Witcher noob. <laughs> Whoa. Henry Cavill no, will be fine. shocked and appalled. That, no, that I thought you fine. were a gamer. No, that's I, fine. It's fine. We are not gatekeepers here. Everyone's welcome. It's absolutely fine. It's totally cool, Amon. Totally cool. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you. It's all right. Um, but, uh Yeah. Now, I, I am a gamer, but for some reason, I have not played uh, any of the Witcher games. Uh, but this show does make me want to dive into that. So I mean, 
The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is one of the greatest video games of all time, so you really should pick that one up. Yeah. Uh, you will not be surprised to hear that I've consumed this every which way, every Witcher way, if you like. <laughs> uh, I have played all three Witcher games I have read. Uh, to be fair, I've only read one of the books, which is The Last Wish. I've also listened to an audiobook of one where Geralt has given an inexplicable Huddersfield accent, uh, which, let me tell you, is very off-putting. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I know I like it a lot. The, the Last Wish is a, is a slightly odd one because, obviously, that's that's what the, this first season was largely based on. Mm. And then the first first episode of this second season comes from that as well which is a short story compendium and it's sort of dark spins on slavic sort of fairy tales hmm. so it's, it's not a good way into the witcher if i'm honest with you like it's not a great way into that world because you kind of got to buy into that as a concept and if you don't it's a little bit disconcerting yeah. and it's only the second book blood of elves which is what this season season two is based on where we get into the the saga as a whole so uh yeah it's interesting but you do, i mean did you all like season one of the witcher i did Maybe not as much as I expected to. And I think part of that is the distancing effect of the time hopping, um, which I cottoned on to way later than I should have yeah. done. So I Everyone was like, did. I was having a nice time. It's like, ooh, there's swords and a man in leather trousers and he's hitting things with a sword. This is great. Very <laughs> much my scene. And then and then I was like, okay, wait, so she just took the throne, but also she has a granddaughter. And so, okay, so there is something timey-wimey going on here. Mm. But I, it took a long time to figure out exactly what was happening and when, which I guess was the experience of most people watching that first season, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a bit yeah. discombobulating. I think very few people realise that they'd pulled a full Dunkirk with the timeline mm. because they don't signpost it in any way, shape or form. You kind of have to join the dots. And then there's a bit where they turn some people into eels and then a hedgehog knight turns up. And at one point you do wonder what the fuck is going on. Mm. But at it's like point. nothing else on television. Mm. Yeah, well, okay, mm. at every point in every episode. But there's nothing else <laughs> like it, like whether in fantasy or without, that I think has that very particular tone that The Witcher has. I, I loved it. I mean, it is, as we used to say in the 90s, bonkers. Um, <laughs> I like the fact it just, it, it it fully commits to fantasy in that sort of like, yeah, there's magic, there's monsters. It's not like Game of Thrones, which kind of, which sort of eased you in mm. slowly, gradually, and it's like, all oh, dragons are coming back. And okay, there's this weird thing happening beyond the wall. We're going to gradually, we're going to see more of that. But with, with The Witcher, it's just like, no, it's full on. It's straight in there, and 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 people are saying things that don't make any sense. What the hell is the law of surprise? What is that? I don't know. I don't care. It's great. Um, and it, yeah, pretty much the only word I understand was you know the only words I understood were the swear words. But um, but yeah, I I just it was just like you know whatever. I'm I'm having fun on this ride, and I should know this better than than you know people haven't played the games, but and read one of the books. But even so, I was just like at some points it reminded me almost of like a Bollywood production, I think. I just, for some reason, I got a bit of a Bollywood vibe from the first season of The Witcher, which I think is just more of a general mood thing rather than anything specific. You know, because it's like, you don't know what's going on half the time and there's songs <laughs> and there's crazy action. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, what yeah, the hell? Needs more dance routines, though, doesn't it? Really? It does. Yeah, 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 it should do. Yeah. It should do. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm more in the Helen's camp uh, with season one. Because for me, uh, and the same is true with season two, this is an easy show to like, but a hard show to love. Because uh, it's got a lot of stuff that I really, really enjoy. It's got monster slaying. It's got magic. It's got bangers like Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, which of course became uh, a whole thing. But with the amount of lore and the way in which it tells its story, this film or this uh, show has been touted as like the next Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones managed to mix in political intrigue with everything else going on so well that the political stuff was just as interesting and compelling as everything else going on. This show, the Geralt Siri 
Yennefer's storylines are really, really interesting. Everything else is a bit hit and miss. And sometimes that drags the storytelling down. But I enjoyed season two more than I enjoyed season one. Good to know. Well, before we get into the details on season two, uh, let's hear about season two straight from the horse's mouth. And no, I don't mean Roach. Rest in peace, Roach. Uh, but rather, <laughs> Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick, the showrunner who I called up with just before Christmas. And I have to say, who was gagging to talk about this because it's a season that she's been forced to keep under wraps for two whole years. And I think it was the first person that she was able to talk about kind of with spoilers. So she was very excited to do that. This is Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick. Lauren, very big welcome to the Empire Spoiler Special Podcast. Uh, let's get into the nerdery of this. But before I do, before I do, I want to talk a little bit about, about season one and how it transitions in season two. So right. obviously season one is based on, in large part, The Last Wish and sort of Destiny, the short story connection. So presumably with that, it was a case of you've got all these short stories and it's like, well, on a corkboard, presumably, a yes. metaphorical <laughs> corkboard. And you're thinking, I can use that, I can use that. And you've got to kind of fit them all in while weaving together an overall narrative. Whereas now we go into The Blood of Elves, which is the first kind of actual novel, if you will, right. in this series. So is that a big transition in how you approach doing this? Absolutely. And they both were challenging in their own ways. So season one was challenging because you know that you're going to get a, a new audience in, or you hope you are. You're going to have book fans, you're going to have game fans. But we also wanted to appeal to people who perhaps had never even heard of The Witcher. And especially being American, I knew that was a, a lot of my people. Yeah. And so we knew that we had these beautiful short stories. And I really had the decision at the beginning of starting with the short stories or starting with a saga. And the saga feels easier to start with. But mm. I think there's so much gorgeous world building in those short stories, getting to know the characters mm. and these sort of epic adventures that Geralt has. I couldn't leave them behind. But there is no narrative through line to those short stories. No. So that was the first thing that we had to crack. And then I had to add that to the fact that when I sold the show, I did so on the premise of making sure that Siri and Yennefer were characters of their own and had their own backstories and their own lives and journeys before they intersected with Geralt. So that was a lot of <laughs> moving puzzle pieces. You were right about the corkboard. There was also <laughs> um, an elaborate, super elaborate timeline in our writer's office. So, you know, obviously Yennefer's story is sort of the longest story of season one, which of course you don't know because you're not with her necessarily the most time, but it spans the most time. Geralt's is a little bit shorter than that, and Ciri's entire story takes place over two weeks. And so we were constantly, in order to plant all of the right Easter eggs and make sure that we gave all the right references, I still think that, that the timeline itself is a work of art. Well, <laughs> um, I, I can just imagine you pitching saying, so, you know Dunkirk, we'd like to do that, but over a series. <laughs> so, no kidding, it was, I had pitched this idea and yet had no idea how I was going to accomplish it. Yeah. Um, I was like, it's, they're all three going to have stories at the same time. I played around with the idea of actually starting with Lady of the Lake and sort of having Siri flash back into stories, and, but I didn't want it to all be from her POV. Mm. And it was, uh, this, is, this is a true story, it was one of those shower moments where I hopped out of the shower and I said to my partner, is this crazy? Like, do <laughs> I think I can do this? And he was like, it's going to be very hard. And I was like, no, 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 not hard. Hard's fine. But do you think anyone will understand? And he said, maybe about half the people. And so we went with it. And I think half is about accurate because I think about half the fans of season one loved the timelines, loved the yeah. challenge, the puzzle. Half of them were like, 
absolutely not. What the fuck is going yes, on? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which we make reference to, obviously, in episode yes, four of season two. Yes, which has to be said is one of my favorite moments. Is the dock worker who kind of heckles Yaskia, just saying, "Oh, you know, like it took me till was it the fourth verse until I realized there were multiple <laughs> timelines. Saw the dragon reveal coming a mile off. Yeah, genius. I thought that was that was lovely. We had uh, an incredibly long list of possibilities <laughs> for that because we literally thought, what are the things that what are things we heard most from fans? The kiss with the dragon, like so cheesy. Um, it, it it was really great fun. You know, I I love interacting with fans. And that includes hearing some of the bad shit that mm. you would otherwise want to protect yourself from. But I thought, what a better way? Because it's not, you know, we're not trolling fans. We hear them. It's more about just sort of being tongue-in-cheek and bringing them into the show in an interesting way. Yeah, but the whole tone of this, like, I always find The Witcher has a really interesting tone because you can't, on the one hand, I think fancy needs to take itself seriously. But you can't have a show with a hedgehog knight and things like that and right. without at least sort of tipping your hat a little bit to yeah. the viewers. I think we probably tip our hat more than a little bit because you're absolutely right. I mean, that's fantasy is really known because it's this lens through which we look at our real world. So there always have to be stakes, for instance. I tend to think, and this is just my personal taste, that fantasy takes itself a little too seriously sometimes. We and there, time. Anyway, <laughs> fine. carry on. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it builds itself up sort of on an earnestness and believes that you can't care unless every single word that every single character says yeah. is meaningful and full of import. And that, for me, has sometimes turned me off of fantasy. Mm -hmm. So when I first read The Last Wish, which was the first book I read of, of Olive Sapkowski's work, I was stunned by how funny it was mm. and how characters are so sort of self-reflective and self, you know, just uh, flagellating at times and realize that there is insanity. My favorite headlines of like reviews and critiques from season one always used the word like bonkers or it's a, like a wild ride or like, what the fuck is this? And my response always was like, oh my God, they haven't even seen the unicorns yet. Like they have no <laughs> idea there's unicorns coming. There are unicorns, yeah. Speaking of unicorns, I very much enjoyed the reference to the stuffed unicorn in this particular season. Yes. People always ask, we're going to see the stuffed unicorn. I'm like, do you actually want to see? I don't want to see the stuffed no unicorn. No one needs to see the stuffed no unicorn. No one ever needs to have that sort of seared into their brain. But it was a really fun reference to be able to make. Yeah. We're constantly trying to do things like that, which is, you know, reward people who come at this from the games, who've seen the stuffed unicorn games, by yeah. the way, or the references in the books and sort of say, like, we see you. We see you out there. I mean, when we get into to this series, obviously we have, which we saw last night in the premiere, the kind of the first episode, which in many ways is almost like a, a starter course, isn't it, for this? Yes. Because it's it's a one short story before we get into the main narrative. Yep. Was that, I mean, what, what caused you to start with that, with that particular story? Which is a great one. It's kind of the beauty and the beast. Yes. Because all twisted fairy tales, aren't yes, they, the short stories? all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, part of it was just that I loved A Grain of Truth. It's one of my favorite mm. stories because it really does set this tone of the Witcher world, which is that you never know what's going on inside yeah. someone. And we meet Nivellin, and he is beastly. Obviously, he looks beastly. But he, we spend the first 45 minutes of the episode sort of seeing what an empathetic character he is and how much Siri relates to him. And you, you know, by that moment in time, you love him. Mm. And then we take it and turn it on his head and realize that he has truly done these unforgivable deeds. And then we watch, certainly, Geralt and Ciri not be able to forgive him at the mm -hmm. end for what he's done. And to me, like, that is the world of The Witcher. And it's something that we continue exploring for all of our characters this season, which is, you know, who do they appear to be on the outside? Geralt, season one, he's a witcher. That's all he is. He's grumpy. He says the word fuck a lot. He grunts. <laughs> and this season, we start to peel back the layers. Yeah. And we get the good and the bad. You know, you get a man who 
uh, to me, his journey this season is really about sort of being forced to take care of Siri because that's a promise that he made, to actually starting to care for her mm. and realizing that, you know, it's not just destiny that brought them together. He, he wants to help protect her and teach her to defend herself. That is such a beautiful thing. But also, as you start peeling back those layers, he's got this vulnerability that he's not comfortable with. Mm. And he has to start reckoning with his demons. We see Siri doing the same. So, you know, a grain of truth set that up for us. But you make a great point, which is beyond just like, oh, we couldn't fit that in in season one, so let's put it here. I also want new people to come to The Witcher in season two. Yeah. I, I want people to have said, oh, hey, I heard of that in 2019 when the show <laughs> last aired, and let's try this out. And it did feel like a great starter course for us. You get all of the things that people love about Sapkowski, which is these twisted fairy tales, beautiful sets. You have this monster who is obviously has sort of a, a human side to him. There's a fight. There is, you know, blood and violence and gore. There's all of it. But it's there's sort of no, uh, I guess, like barriers to entry. You can watch it. You get right. all the best parts of The Witcher. But we're still unfolding story and catching the season one audience up. So I feel like it's a great way for anyone to start. So everyone can get into that. And then it's like, right, now we're into Blood of Elves and we've got a whole big story coming in. But exactly. you made some significant changes. I've not read the novels, I have to be honest. I've read okay. The Last Witch. Uh, I read that many, many years ago. But the actual sort of main Witcher saga, I mean, I played the games through, so I understand sort of the narrative bits and bobs, but there are quite a few additions to this. Yes. Like you've, you've changed it quite a lot. So it goes into, I think, I suppose, time of contempt a tiny bit, doesn't it, towards yep. the end? Yep. Um, but the whole, the Deathless Mother thread, the the monoliths and stuff, This is these are introduced elements. Are yes. All right. I love that you said Deathless Mother. These are words I have not been able to utter <laughs> for months. Um, uh so, yes, you know, I mentioned earlier that that season one and season two each had their own challenges yeah. in terms of adaptation. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head in terms of this season. So, Blood of Elves, first book of the Witcher saga. And so, really, the place that I thought, like, okay, this is where the serialized story begins. This is where it's going to get easier. Scratch that. There's a couple of problems. <laughs> um, one, Tomek Baginski, who's one of our EPs, who is mm. Polish, who grew up with these books— years ago, had said to me, like, oh, great, you're going to start with short stories. Like, he's like, can't, tell me when you get to Blood of Elves. Like, can't wait. It is an impossibly difficult novel to adapt because not a lot happens. Not a lot of forward story progression. Yeah. Huge character progression. And obviously, we that's what we really wanted to reflect in this season. For instance, take Geralt. Geralt is training Ciri. Yeah. To train Ciri, Geralt relies on his brothers, on his father figure, Vesemir. He calls Tristan. He eventually calls Yennefer in because he realizes that this is not a job he can he can do by himself. That's not a forward-moving story for the hero of The Witcher, you know, which is like, I need more help, guys. Yeah. Like, more help. And we really feel like Geralt is at his best when he's in investigative mode. We saw that in season one with the Striga case, for instance— when he is putting a picture together, it also highlights one of Henry's favorite things about the character and something that we knew we could lean into more in season two, which is Geralt's intelligence. Yeah. He can put a puzzle together and he can figure out a mystery. So that's when we started talking about, okay, while he's asking all these people for help training Siri, and he's doing some of it himself, what else can he be doing? How can we have more scenes with him so that our audience isn't going, hey, where is the Witcher in <laughs> The Witcher? Um, and so— Part of what we said is in order to train Siri, in order to protect her, he needs to understand her more. He needs to understand these powers. She certainly doesn't understand them. He got no clue from Calanthe before she threw herself out the window. So <laughs> how is this going to work? And that's where we started adding in mystery. Yennefer is very similar. So Yennefer 
I I love what Sapkowski did with these female characters. Um, he really planted the seeds. He gave us really strong women who are totally fallible, who make mistakes, who are just as layered and messed up and heroic and also victimized and all of these things in the same way that his male characters are. What I didn't love as the person who is adapting this to screen is that they are so often only introduced through Geralt's lens. Mm. They disappear from a story and then they return when he needs them. And that's what I felt was happening in Blood of Elves. We hear that she uh, has been injured at the Battle of Sodden. Geralt believes that she's dead. We hear kind of off screen that maybe she's been blinded and then she's somehow magically recovered. We don't really know how. And then Geralt writes her letters and she comes to help train Ciri. And I thought a couple of things. One, that our audience uh, would riot (laughs) if we did not show Yennefer for, say, six of eight episodes. (laughs) Um, But also I just felt like I can't you know, as a person who loves Yennefer the character, but also just as a storyteller. Mm. I can't have her show up and be like, where has she been? Meh, doesn't really matter. So we knew that we needed to start to give her a sort of forward drive of her own and her own agenda, which uh, we wanted to take Sapkowski's idea of having her be blind and pull that to the next level. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a, a physical malady for her, but is actually the removal of the thing that she holds the dearest and, and the thing that she has based her entire identity on, her magic. And then we thought, wow, okay. So we've got her search for her magic and Geralt's search for what's happening with Ciri and why suddenly we're getting these new mysterious monsters coming out of the woodwork. And then we thought, we have to have these stories begin to align, which is where we came up with the character of Voleth Mir, the Deathless Mother. We based her on Baba Yaga. One of the things, again, that Sapkowski does so well is he bases a lot of his monsters, even his stories, mm. in uh, mythology and folklore. But it's not just Slavic mythology. He relies on that heavily. But Sapkowski was a traveling salesman. What he brought into his books is this really sort of international flavor. You know, he went to all sorts of countries. I just learned yesterday, by the way, in the Polish premiere, that he came up with the name Siri based on, I want to say, Swiss, Swiss or Swedish, Swiss, name of like a jacket for girls. (laughs) Like it was like, this is the Siri style. And he loved that name. So like, that's what he did for all of his stories. So that's where we went to Baba Yaga because... Every culture has some version of Baba Yaga. And we just thought, what a great monster. And it was the first time we really explored a season-long monster in addition to the episodic ones. Um, So, yeah, there is a ton of invention in season season two. What I will say is that we're currently writing season three. And I feel like Blood of Elves, the novel, its it's work is setting up The Time of Contempt, which is the next book. And it's been really interesting now to be writing that season— which is just a really strict adaptation of the book. And so I feel like all of this sort of great fun work that we did here, building these characters and building this continent is going to pay off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so much in this, but there's also stuff that people will be familiar with. So obviously yeah. the wild hunt is referenced early on, and then we see them later on. Obviously for people who played the most popular of the games, that is a big deal. Yeah, they know so, that. Yeah. <laughs> the Witcher 3, the wild hunt. Yes, <laughs> Indeed. Great. That was a lovely thing to, to drop in. Yeah, so, you know, the writers at the beginning of a writer's room, what we do is we take the book and we debate our favorite parts of it. And I say debate because it can get really fucking brutal because (laughs) we're no different than fans, right? We all approach the material in a different way. And it's like saying, like, what do the fans think of The Witcher? Mm, Fans love different things. Fans show up for Geralt. They show up for Yennefer. They love Ciri. They love the monsters. No, they love the romance. All they want is action. They want swords. More romance. More sex. So 
<laughs> we're the same in the writer's room. We're exactly the same. We come in and we debate our favorite parts of the books. And there were some things that we knew that we had to do. One, we wanted to take Geralt back to his childhood home of Kermor. And that mm. is really, I would say, the biggest tentpole of this season. So excited when they walked into that know, building. Right? The shot that I cannot wait for people to see, and we've held it back left and right, actually two shots in episode two. One is when they first sort of crest around the side of the mountain yeah. and you get the Kermoran yeah. reveal. And it's so beautiful, the sunset, and it's just lit, and there's glares. Yeah, it's all great. <laughs> but my favorite shot probably is the final shot of the episode when Geralt is training Ciri and you do the pullback and you see how small they become. Mm. And it's this great moment of the two of them finally bonding and finally sort of, you know, they do these sword moves together and I'm crying in post. Um, but you see just how small they are in this world. And I think that sets up a lot of what we're trying to do, which is even once they're partnered up, fuck, they have a lot of obstacles to overcome. Yeah. Everyone's trying to get her, you know? So yeah, I love that shot as well. And obviously, it, it, it's getting worse because this essentially ends with it has like a John Wick two vibe for it. Like they're on the run, bounty hunters after them. It like it's all kicking off. Yes, it is. I love that because that is basically by the end of the season, you feel this sort of victory over Volethmir. They have yeah. gotten her back to the Dark Elf sphere. They have vanquished the monster of this season. And yet, what they're realizing is their journey is just beginning. Mm. And there is that list at the end that Geralt is like, you know, the kings are after her, Redain <laughs> is after her, Istrid's looking for her. like every. <laughs> Everyone wants this girl. Yeah. And that's really what we do want to take into season three, which is Siri becomes uh, Siri becomes the football. She becomes the the item that everyone wants for their own reasons. And there's a million different agendas. And it's very political. It's a very sort of huge chessboard. But how amazing to have this one sort of girl who at the beginning, season one, Siri just is running away. She doesn't have a yeah. huge role. Yeah. She's just running everywhere. And by the end of season two and leading into season three, you realize, oh, she's what this is about. Mm. Everyone wants her. And you feel she has more agency this time around as well. Like she's actually, like she's not so much a victim of events as driving things now as well, which is Absolutely. Lovely. And mm. I think what I love about that is that she has this great line in episode two where she's talking about what she wants to do when she's at Caramoran. And she's talking about getting revenge on the Black Knight, mm. which is caught here, obviously, the audience knows. And Geralt says, like, we don't do this for revenge. And she's like, I fucking do this for revenge. Like, you don't, you've not been in my shoes. You yeah. do not know what it's like to be stalked by this man. And he wants me and I don't know why. And the easiest thing for her to do would be to kill him. And I think it is what we get for Siri. additionally. Like, you know, there's all the training. We get to see her on the obstacle course. There's a lot of sort of physical maturation for Siri, mm. But we get this emotional maturation where she begins to realize that she can't actually keep looking back. She has to start looking forward. And I really think by the time that you get her and Geralt and Yennefer in the same place, she's actually beginning to, uh, she will never forget, obviously, about her past and her home. And we spend a lot of finale talking about that. <laughs> yes. um, but it really starts to become future forward for her, which I think is just such a great character journey. Mm, that was actually a really nice touch. I like the battle for Ciri's soul when yeah. it's trying to sort of drag her out of that almost dream state that she's in. Yes. But also it serves to remind you what her dad looks like, which is kind of important because kind of important. a couple of years and people will forget. There is, uh, if I may, 
I mean, that episode. And that's why I said it's so fun to be able to talk about that episode. <laughs> Finally, there's a couple of really important things in that episode. Uh, but you're absolutely right. We needed to reestablish who Dooney was yeah. so that we understand why he matters at the end. One of my favorite little clever moments, I think, is that when her illusions are crumbling, when she is realizing that she wants to go back to Geralt and Ciri and they are now going to be her family moving forward, um, everyone starts to disappear into dust. Dooney is the only one who does not disappear. He actually, everyone, Pavetta, all of those people are actually dead and gone. Yeah. They're gone. She fades out and Dooney is actually completely present still in the background. Oh, I didn't notice that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a rewatch fun for you. Yeah. Those sequences, um, which were among my favorite to shoot, sort of going back and forth, this, you know, sort of horrible, dark, bloody, violent battle at Caramoran, mm. where Ciri is possessed and standing on her own two feet and is so strong. And then flashing back to, or, or flashing into these illusions of beauty and a lot, obviously, from season one. I had Basil Jett, who directed. He was like, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about sort of your, you know, visual references for this. And I handed him the scene from Labyrinth, the David Bowie movie. Yes. Which is like the foundation of my fantasy, you know, you love have for no fantasy. You have no power over me. You have no power over <laughs> me. That's exactly right. Um, I watched that movie when I was very young and had such a crush on David Bowie. My parents were very concerned. <laughs> and I was like, is that? I like that. The hair, the glitter, all of the, it. The spandex. The, yeah. <laughs> that. I want that. But there is the scene where Jennifer Connelly's character is in her childhood bedroom again. Mm. And she basically is being tempted to forget her journey to find her little brother. And she is, you know, holding, I forget her teddy bear's name, but she's like holding her teddy bear. And and uh, the, the woman is saying to her, like, look, it's all of your stuff. You can be happy here forever. Just stay here forever. And as she starts to realize that it is a temptation mm. and that she cannot be pulled off this journey of moving forward and the room starts to crumble around her, that was my sole visual reference for this. <laughs> and I think Ed thought I was insane because I was like, no, go back to this 80s movie. Like, you have to look at this 80s movie. But I just loved that that battle for her soul, as you mm. put it. Um, and then going and sort of allowing Siri to live into this, like, gorgeous fantasy life in Sintra again, one that we haven't seen in so long. I just also thought it was fun. I mean, also, I think that has added weight, that sequence, because every time a witcher dies, you feel it, because there are so few of them left yeah. that it's a big deal when one of them gets, like, mauled by a basilisk. Like, yeah. it's quite the sequence. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was such an important thing for us this season, which is tracking the journey of the witchers as a whole, mm. not just Geralt. And it's, you know, I think obviously if you have watched Nightmare of the Wolf, our anime film, yep. you will understand the Battle of Kermorn and what has happened. Even if you haven't, we wanted to plant the right visual cues for that this season. One of my favorite things that Andrew Laws, our production designer, did is built Kermorn as, as huge, as epically huge as we could. It's probably the biggest set I've ever been on. And then to only place, you know, a dozen people in it. And you truly feel the emptiness. And you yeah. have all of these echoes and it's dark. And, and it just feels like a place where there once was a lot of life and now Too there's not. Too many medallions on the tree. Exactly. And so you get to have Vesemir, you know, he, he isn't thrilled with this young girl being brought into his keep. But you also start to realize that when she could be his hope for the future— it's his own personal journey of not not just about Siri, not about Geralt, but how to bring 
back his family again. I mean, I I was asked yesterday if I could describe the the entire season in one word, and I keep coming back to family because it's really at the core of all of our stories. Yeah, because he's very much a literal lone wolf almost in the first yeah. season, and now <laughs> you get his family, you get his father, you get all those things. But yeah. it's not just, as you say, it's not just Carol. Like, I was fascinated by Fringilla and Kahir's relationship. Yes. Like, I thought that was beautifully done because they're not allies, but they're not adversaries, and it's a kind of an uneasy alliance. And that scene where she murders the other generals is fucking brutal. So that scene was pitched, I'm going to say, word for word by Declan Debarra, one of the writers who actually is the uh, creator of Blood Origin. And he was like, I have an idea. And then, and if you know Declan, I mean, he like literally out loud pitches it to us. And then it's the thing through the eye. And then it's the sword from this and into his back. And we're like, we can't do that. We can't have Frangilla do that. And we did have her do it. Yeah. And it's, I love it how it's shot too with everyone frozen. And there's the dog that comes up and is eating things. We really wanted to show how far Frangilla was willing to go for power. Mm. And to have this sort of brought about by all of these men around her not having faith in her. That felt so. That felt really realistic to me, and the idea that that Kahir is able to say to her, you know, like maybe you're not safe here, and she's like, maybe I'm not safe here. Yeah. And then she goes back, and her uncle's like, I knew you would never have power to do anything there. She's like, wait, okay, wait, let me do this. Uh, Mimi, who plays Frangilla, uh, she has a great theory, which is that because she read that scene and mm. thought basically how I did, like Frangilla can't do this. There is no way to come back from this. And what I thought is really fascinating about how Mimi plays it is that she does everything I ask her to do for Frangilla, but she allows Frangilla to have feelings about it. And there is such a darkness. She she always is sort of pulled to do what she thinks she has to do. Mm-hmm. And yet we also play the, the consequences of that. You know, she's going to have to face up to the fact, for instance, that she <laughs> takes credit for killing her friend's baby. Um... Which is dark. Super dark. <laughs> again, she didn't do it, which is, you yeah. know, and again, that probably was one of the bigger debates in the writer's room as well, is is mm. can we have her do this? You can, as long as you have her go, fuck, maybe I didn't do the right thing. Mimi is constantly, not Mimi, Mimi, uh, Frangilla is constantly sort of questioning, is she doing the right thing? Is she making the right power moves? And I think it's a really great character trait. And then you have Ka here. We always mm. call Ka here the, the true believer. He never questions himself. Yeah. He just does what he's asked to do. Mm. And I think you're absolutely right about their relationship, which is they're not exactly allies. They're not exactly adversaries. And that's going to continue playing up in season three. But they are constantly testing each other as well. And it's such an uneasy alliance. Love them. And obviously they're in the shit by the time we get to the end of this season as well. Yes. Amir is not happy. No, um, no. But I must speak about uh, Yaskia briefly. We haven't touched on him. He is obviously one of the most amazing characters in this. I mean, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher obviously became a breakout banger, which, I mean, did you realise that when you were like, when you first presented with that, with the song? Oh, when it was hell no. You were just like, oh, this is going to go fucking everywhere. No, in fact, <laughs> I had come up with this idea of this song that starts out acoustically that then becomes this rock anthem yeah. by the end of the episode. Alex Sakharov, who directed that episode, was like, what? What? No. What? <laughs> Everyone was like, I don't quite understand. Like, we're going to go too modern here. It's going to not work. Jenny Klein, who wrote that episode, wrote these gorgeous lyrics. And then uh, Sonia and Jonah, who were our composers in season one, worked with her carefully, got this entire song written. And still, we were like, okay, we'll see if it works. <laughs> 
My first indication was when we were on the mix stage. And so we were finally getting all of the sound laid in and all of the music. And we had worked really late on a Thursday night and then had to come back on Friday morning to wrap up the episode. And we all came in and everyone's kind of yawning and getting their coffee. And someone finally said, I can't get that fucking song out of my head. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh my God, I, me too. It's in my head all night. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we had no idea it was going to be a success. And I'm still stunned by just how many sort of fan recreations of that song there are. Oh, my God, so many. Um, there are a lot of songs in season uh, in season two as well, as I was going to say, there are, yeah. And was, were you thinking, right, we've got, to, we've got to repeat this, find a way? Yes and no. I mean, I think that if we were trying to come up with another, uh, something to sort of capture the zeitgeist in that way again, mm. I think it would start to feel inauthentic to the series. Sure. Because then we're trying to write a song as opposed to write you know, a song that actually moves story forward. Mm. I also think that one of the one of the things that we did not do well in season one, uh, which everyone noticed, is that Yasker didn't age at all over sort of the 35 <laughs> years that he's in the stories. Um, he's got great skin. And we also knew, though, because we only have a couple of days between the end of season one and the beginning of season two, mm. we, I was asked by several people, like, did you consider aging him up? And I thought, so, like, not age him for 35 years, and then, like, oh, he's really tired. Um, and he just, you know... But what we chose to do is sort of mature him in a different way and show that that song was written because he wanted to be a star. Mm. You know, he wanted to rule the continent. And now, actually, he's writing songs for a little bit more um, of a personal reason, mm. which is when we hear— He's gone full Taylor Swift. Exactly. It's all his pain. It's all of his pain. <laughs> so, Burn, the first song that we hear, is, I think, his most personal song, and it's just about heartbreak. Mm. It's just about being sort of used and tossed out by someone. And to me, it's like, do I think that people are going to be doing remixes of that? Probably not. Um, but I actually think it will stick with them in a different way because it is so much more important to the story. Yeah. No, it's lovely. And he's really, really funny. Like, he gets yeah. some fantastic lines this time. In fact, so does Geralt, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Like this, and he's more a loquacious character, I think, in this season as well. He gets more to say. But the humor, I think, really sort of really popped, and he sells it brilliantly. He is, um, it's great. Joey and I have uh, a deal which is that he has to show up with his lines, no, you know, with his lines <laughs> memories. Once we get it, though, he can ad-lib all over the place yeah. because he comes up with so many funny things. What does he say literally uh, in episode eight? Something about a sexually enraged goat yes. and, that ends up on screen. And I was like, that is not, that's not me. It's I like, not it's, do it's that. His head between the buttocks of a, but, so, yeah, yeah. Was, genius. Yeah. yeah, yes. Nope, that is the genius of Joey, baby. Yeah. And you're talking about hanging portraits on his nipples when he's coming yep. out of the pool. Like, but there's a sequence where there's like one after the other. He's yes. just nailing it. Did you notice the line in that same um, scene about feeling like a Nilfgaardian's ball sack? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. We just had to, right? We just had to. We no longer have the ball sack armor, <laughs> but we now have the line. I did notice that had yes. gone. A good creative move, I'm saying. Lauren, I think I've run out of time, but thank you very much. This has been a delight. Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun to talk about the season as a whole, and I can't wait for everyone to watch it. That was Lauren Schmidt-Hiserick, and now that we've heard her insights, let's talk through some of our own. So, season two. The first thing I guess we should note is by the first episode, which, as we've mentioned, is a kind of ease-you-in palate cleanser. It's another one sort of standalone type unit. We have a proper linear story arc. That's Ooh. exciting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, yes. not to be, you know, all like fuddy-duddy about this. You know, <laughs> we can we can do non-linear. We can do that kind of storytelling. It does make it a lot easier when you're also trying to absorb quite as much lore as this show has. And I think one of the things that, that Game of Thrones also did quite well that this maybe could do with a bit more of is maps. I would be very, <laughs> very, very grateful for a map. There is a reason they put them in fantasy books. 
But when you're throwing around quite so many names of quite so many countries, it genuinely would be quite helpful to have a sort of zoom out and zoom back in again, kind of mm. early Google Earth kind of a thing. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I, I do sometimes feel the lack of that because I'm like, wait, so Nilfgaard is the baddies and and Sintra we think are more of, a, let's quote unquote, goodies. But like, so who are these other guys and wh- where are they in respect to the other two? And yeah, I need to, I need more geography. Wow, that what makes I, me sound cool. What I quite like about The Witcher <laughs> is that rather than sort of goodies and baddies, they're all twats. It's just mm, greater mm. or lesser levels yes, of twattishness. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then, but then The Witchers, though, they're like twats who, who know that everyone else is twats. So yes. that makes yeah. them the best. Self-aware <laughs> twats. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. with you 100%. Yeah. I do think what's really interesting about this is like you take uh, so season one of The Witcher. If, you, if anyone hasn't seen it, if you've got a Netflix YouTube channel, there is a six-minute pricey of season one, which is very nice. It's very funny. It's very well done to get you in season two. The fact that they could distill season one into no less than six minutes, I think, speaks volumes of the amount of narrative heavy lifting it does. Given that one can sum up something like, I don't know, West Side Story in about four words. Don't you even come for a West Side Story with me. (laughs) The fact that this takes six minutes just to summarise, there's a lot going on. And actually, for comparison, if you think about it, before Battlestar Galactica season five, wasn't it? They had that Battlestar Galactica roundup, which was about six minutes, but that was for four seasons. Yeah. So and this was for one. This was for one. Yeah. Th- <laughs> yes. Look, there is a lot of narrative heavy lifting to do, and there is a lot of explanation of who's who and what's what. And a huge number of people whose alliances we have to keep track of. And I think that is, I think similar to, to what Amon said, I think that's my big criticism of the show is I would like maybe 5% more characters talking to each other about their feelings scenes. Um, <laughs> and, and yes, as a supernatural fangirl, of course I would say that. But at the same time, like there is something to be said for it. I think there is, there would be a bit, of, we could make a bit more time in between slaying dragons or making friends with dragons to 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 maybe just sit down and have a chat about how things are going. How are you settling in? Are you okay? Well, Geralt's more talky this time around, isn't he? Is, he? He's slightly yes, less yes, grunty yes. and more talky. Yeah, but no, he's still I'm not exactly a feelings kind of a guy, is he? Really? No, but he doesn't have to be because there's a lot of people around him who could be a bit more so. And also, seeing big gruff men open up even slightly about their feelings is absolute catnip to at least half of the audience. So that would, you know, just even a little tiny crack. 5%, that's all I'm asking. Yeah, no, Geralt's relationships with Siri and Vesemir are really, really well mm. done. I like that um, Freya Allen, who plays Siri, has, you know, has more to do in this season. Uh, the way in which she begins her training, which I know is a big sort of thing in the books and the games, is really, really exciting. And she's going to need it, considering everyone in this world is after her at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it's good. Yeah. How banned were Apple iPhones on this show? Like, how super banned did they have to be? How turned off did everybody have to be before shooting began on every scene because of Siri? Oh, see, I didn't get where you were going with that at all. (laughs) I must admit, I must admit, I did think this when I was watching it. At no point does anyone say to her, hey, Siri, which actually would have really made me laugh if someone had done that. I actually thought they might lean into that and have someone do it. And then everyone in every room, in every Netflix, everywhere, their phones come to life. Yeah. That's that's quite entertaining. There's an episode of Motherland where one of the characters says, Alexa, play some happy hardcore. And it was just like fuck off that anyone who's got an echo was then listening to happy hardcore for the rest of the episode um, yeah. very good there we go Most i just amazing. i just want a round of applause to helen for that i, I, don't, I, did, not I, I, that feel, I did not think that was warranted but i will take it anyway thank you 
Yes. I no, I like Siri in this. I think she has a nice arc. I like her training. I like everything she goes through. I enjoy the you know, the, the discovery of kind of who she is and her powers because it's kind of a little bit ill defined in season one. She does that weird, you know, she starts channeling something and says some poetry and blows up a bunch of people but we don't quite understand what she is and obviously we understand here that she has elder blood there's something special about her and there's all sorts of stuff going on Mm. so what is it with her background exactly so her father as we find out at the end of this Mm. episode is the white flame yes (laughs) emperor emir aka duni the urchin of erlenwald the white flame so she has the white flame indeed yes she has i guess sort of elder blood in her veins which makes her very uh wanted which is why the wild hunt are after her and you see a glimpse of the wild hunt when they go to the sort of the plane of the elves at the end of the final in that flashback in that scene that she had with the red-headed sorceress trish tis trish Trish, 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 Trish. yeah Mm. Yeah. so was but that looked like an elf was her mother was an ancestor what's that meant to be I can't remember. I saw these episodes quite a long time ago. Well, so bear with me on this. This is um, forensic indeed. Yeah, so I, she, I think it's, elder, it's sort of elder blood that she has, okay. which is what the elves yeah. have as well. So she, then, is, she is connected to all that. Yeah, because there's that scene where, um, oh God, I told you I'm bad on the character names here, where the guy, the mage guy, the mage guy, who's the mage guy? What, who, Reince, the fire mage. Who, no, the other one, the one who Istrid? fancies. Uh, Istrid, yes, thank you. Thank you. Istrid. That's right, isn't it? Istrid. Yeah. He yeah. goes to like the investigator, and one of them's played by yes. Simon Callow, yeah. which was yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and 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 they they check the genealogy don't they and find so yeah. basically it's kind of like it, it's that she's descended from this extremely uber powerful legendary elven warrior or something because mm. I, I wasn't clear on that scene either which is what confused me because i thought they were saying that nothing in her bloodline accounted for this and that's why i thought there had been a baby swap or something with an elf which is what had messed with my head but maybe i've misunderstood okay fine but yes i get either way i get that she has elder blood and therefore her blood has magical properties every time she like has a nosebleed flowers grow and monsters appear and shit cool fantastic loving it uh her (laughs) when i rewatch, i rewatched the end of the last episode before doing this when she's in her vision as a result of being possessed by the big uh, baba yaga that's right everybody turns to dust and disappears in a very end gamey way except for her dad did you notice that because everyone, see, that's a deliberate thing. Uh, all the people who turn to dust are people who are already people dead. People who are dead, okay. Whereas because he's still alive, he doesn't turn to dust. Well, that's that was my question, but he's still in a hallucination. So that did yeah. make me wonder if he was somehow controlling or linked to or involved with the hallucination. No, I think it's just to sort of indicate that he's still alive. It's kind of foreshadowing for the kind of the reveal okay. at the end. Also, in a practical sense, I think they have him in there because, like... You'd forgotten what he looked you'd like. You'd forgotten what yeah. he looked like. You'd be like, I don't know yeah. who that is. Yeah. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so which, which again, it's it's a nice touch because the idea is all of the Witcher monsters. It's all about the con- the conjunction of the spheres, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. all the different planes of existence have collided in this big sort of like you know yeah, in a Thor the Dark World event. sense. Yeah, yeah, basically, and all the monsters from the other spheres are now in this world where they didn't used to be there. Mm-hmm. So that that's, except and for and, the except for the Wild Hunt who are still in that other world. That yes. looks like the hell from Constantine. That's kind of like I believe that's that's the is that the plane of the dark elves? I can't remember. Yeah, which is again we're back in Thor, Thor the Dark World. But um, yes, uh, and her her shouts obviously have activated the monoliths and those act as gateways to the other spheres and hence monsters. Okay, mm. but in theory, she could presumably like uncoordinate everything, un <laughs> like undo the confluence between all the worlds and like send everybody home i don't know that she's i don't know that her powers work quite that well because like she's not responsible for the conjunction i don't think you no. could undo that i think everyone's like all the hitchhikers from the other planes are here now and we're just up with them but presumably they can make her stop bringing new ones in right 
But what if she needs to defend herself? That's why she's getting trained by Geralt and now mm. Yennefer, because uh, she's got powers which she, she definitely needs to channel uh, in a better way. Uh, I, I like that they finally got all three of them together at the end of the season. I mean, cause... yeah, but let's hope they actually keep them that way this time. Yeah. They, they... It's, not, it's, not <laughs> happy, it's not happy families, is it, really? I mean, you know, you've kind of, you've got, you've got mum, dad and the daughter together now, spiritually speaking, but I think, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's be that happy, but. Oh no, well, there's, there's a lot, I mean, Jennifer tried to, you know, sacrifice Siri to get her powers and, Geralt is not going to forgive that lightly. No, and I think this is an interesting point to talk about because obviously Yennefer and Geralt are kind of like soulmates, whether that's by fate or destiny or in in fact a djinn's sort of spell. But um, that kind of whole plot arc is introduced in this. Like, It's not from the book. It's like the betrayal, her losing chaos and her spending this series trying to get her chaos back and going to really any lengths to do that involve, you know, up to and including betraying Geralt and, you know, selling Ciri to a witch. Mm. What did you make of the whole Yennefer arc? I find it interesting to strip her of her powers given how much she had sacrificed to get them. And I find that the idea of desperation very convincing, like dramatically speaking, I thought that was really, really effective. And putting her in the position of, okay, she agrees to do this thing for this person and then realises she's going to have to take on Geralt to do it. That's that's a thorny dilemma. I get the attraction of that. I think for me, you know, the, the assurances she gave that she wasn't really going to betray him rang a bit hollow and I would have liked a bit more reassurance on that score because I do kind of believe her on that, but I feel like there should have been a bit more evidence of it, even if only for us, the audience, and not for Geralt himself. Yeah, I thought I thought there was a little bit of friction with the thing that was driving her in the first season, which is wanting to have a child. I mean, after she's changed herself and, and become really powerful, she really wanted to kind of like, you know, fix the fact that she couldn't have a child. And so, and so then you hear what's driving her is she wants her power back. And then she's presented with a scenario where in order to do that, she's got to basically kill a child, we presume. Uh, and I didn't really see that there was much conflict within her on that idea, really. And I, I would have imagined that there should be. And it's not until she realises who the child is and the relationship to Geralt that she's all like, oh, I can do it in the end. So, yeah, I wasn't 100% convinced by that. And as for the losing power thing, I think after... Stranger Things, when Eleven lost her powers, it felt a little bit like I, I feel like I've seen seen that. Sorry, spoiler alert for anyone <laughs> who's not yeah, just on, Stranger on, Things. On, on Stranger Things, mm-hmm. but it, it, and I was rewatching Stranger Things recently, so perhaps that's why it was in my head because I was just like, oh, you're kind of the losing the power thing, uh, being there before. It's mm. something they do a lot to female characters. Yeah, how dare they have power? At well, any time? like yeah. genuinely, there's a bit. You know, power them it, immediately. It's a, it's a key component of the whole fridging idea. Actually, it's mm. not just that they die. It's it's also that if they do come back, they're depowered or less powerful, mm. whereas men tend to come back more powerful. Um, so it's it is a it is a trope and not a brilliant one. I I did think, like I say, I think it was mostly well played. I think in terms of the the sacrificing a kid thing, like I say, I do actually believe that she was going to try and figure something out there. But I would have liked more evidence of it. And I, I think there is a fundamental difference for a lot of people between sacrificing a child and sacrificing my child. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily as much of a contradiction as one would like it to be. And it's uh, sacrificing the child to Voleth Mir, the mm. deathless mother, who's a big old demon that feeds on pain, which is a lovely attribute. And I, so you took me a couple of watches of the end of this to work out what had happened. Though I was like, how is Voleth Mir suddenly free? And it seems to be that when like, Francesca's pain after having her baby murdered is yeah. what 
yeah. through the bond she has with the deathless mother that's what ultimately frees her she yeah. feeds on that and she becomes stronger but ultimately you know she's misunderstood she just wants to go home <laughs> <laughs> but my my bit i wasn't sure of in terms of Olive mayor was what does Yennefer say to her to get her out of Ciri? I mean, I get that she cuts her wrist and what, that makes her attractive because she's hurting. But mm. yeah, why, I think so. why leave someone with elder blood and all that power for someone who at that point has no, has no power? power? I must admit that I couldn't work that out either. But yeah. uh, either way, she doesn't seem to need anyone. All she's really mm, looking for is a body to get her through to the other plane. And then once she's there, she's quite happy to fuck off and do her own thing anyway. That's fair so, play you know, yeah, exactly. So she was actually quite good. I must admit, like, Death Mother, I love the monster names in this fucking show. Mm. I really The Bruxa and the Chernobog. I love a Chernobog. Yeah. Chernobog, <laughs> incidentally, is Peter Stamari in American Gods. Yeah. yeah. Because um, Chernobog was oh. the, isn't he, it means black god, doesn't it? Slavic it's the god, god of yeah. bad fate. Slavic god. Uh, and here's, here's an extra, extra fact for you. Chernobyl derives its name from Chernobog uh, and a mix of Chernobog and Bilebog, who was the good Good God, so it's the two things. Mm -hmm. Frankly, if you had a town with a nuclear rea reactor named after the god of death, I'd have thought twice about building it there. That's just me. <laughs> anyway, Chernobog aside. <laughs> There's lots of good monster slaying in this in this show. The slaying of the Chernobog is probably my yeah. favourite. That was very cool. I mean, yeah, poor Chernobog. He, he was just doing his best. Mm. I like the dragons. I, there was a, that wonderful line, though, after after Broach's death, he's just like, where are my fucking swords? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. He has some excellent... Him and Yaskia between them have some great one-liners. They really do. Yes, um, do. Roach, canonically, is female, but all the roaches on the show are male because apparently there aren't any mares big enough to carry Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I found out from from Henry Cavill because obviously Geralt always wears both of his swords on his back in the games traditionally, and he'll pull out the one that he needs. But Henry pointed out that it is impossible to sword fight when you have another sword on your back. So it is a purely <laughs> practical choice. He cannot do proper choreography while having another great big fuck off sword strapped to him. So it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. right, fair enough. Play. I managed it in the game, but there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that they re they'd uh, redesigned the Nilfgaardian armor, which many people had pointed out had a certain scrotal quality to it in uh, in season one. So that's been rethought in this one. I think that's a very good move. I, I hadn't noticed the I scrotal hadn't. quality. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, lots of the talk online was they just look like walking ball sacks. That's why no one really dug the Nilfgaardian armor aesthetic. So they rethought that this time around. Well, uh, they have been redesigned, and I think that was a good choice all all, all round. But but we mentioned Yaskia a minute ago. So so toss a coin to your Witcher was the banger of uh, 2019. There isn't a banger in this one exactly, yeah. but he does mm. have some songs. Did mm. we like the songs? Mm. I like Burn Butcher Burn. That was good. But yeah, nothing on the level <laughs> of Toss a Coin, which is, you know, fan, like Toss a Coin, it, it got to the level it got to because it was awesome and then it would, it would have been hard to replicate that. I'm just a little bit frustrated that they waited so long to reintroduce Yaskia mm. in the season. Uh, we had to wait a good few episodes, and even then, he's only in a handful of scenes. Uh, but I did enjoy when he showed up. I, I liked that uh, Yennefer and Yaskia teamed up for a few scenes. That was funny. I liked their yeah. uh, reunion. Unexpectedly uh, warm, uh, but they have changed a lot since they last saw each other, and that was reflected in that. I think, yeah, yeah it was more desperation than perhaps a genuine affection. But yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> I think yeah, you also... Frenemies. They're frenemies. Yeah, I think you also <laughs> needed a little bit of warmth, especially for Yennefer at that point in the show, who had been imprisoned, stripped of her power, yeah. you know, tortured, chased, abused for uh, God knows how many episodes at that point. I think even, even a Yaskir, even with that past, you would probably embrace anybody at that point. 
I like the fact that Yennefer, through that storyline, we also see sort of the non-villainous side of Cahir. Do you know what I mean? Like, because he's the guy chasing Siri. Like, he's unabashedly evil in season one. And here, it's actually, do you know what? We, we see his point of view. We see his loyalty to Amir. And him and Fringilla, I think they actually make an interesting kind of odd couple. I enjoyed the, the sort of banter between them. And obviously ending in perhaps the worst dinner party I've ever seen on television. Uh, what, what did <laughs> oh, we think God, of... that scene... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Like, no one's going uh, around there for dinner. Red wedding much? Yeah. No, I'm saying. That's what I was going to say. Oh, like, the, 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 okay, it, was, it was a really bad dinner party, the Witcher. Don't get me wrong. But the red wedding is still, that is a scene I will not rewatch to this day because it just made me feel so sick. Um, not so to say brutal, that I'm rushing though. to rewatch what happened in The Witcher with Fringilla and everything else. But but yeah, I still I still put The Red Wedding above this. But I think that what's really like twisted and gruesome about this one is they they're all sitting there, yeah. their eyes are moving, yeah. their ears are working, <laughs> they know what's happening, and they can't move anything else. That's that pretty shit terrifying. Is cold. Yeah, that yeah. is cold. She does it so I, matter of factly while monologuing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also the thing about the Witcher. This, this is not to say that I'm putting down the scene in The Witcher, which is gruesome, but the scene in The Red Wedding, like, you like all those characters. You don't want them to die. The yeah. people who yeah. Fringilla is killing, there's at least one general who's been an ass the entire season <laughs> and kind of <laughs> kind of deserves it to a point. So there's that too. Yeah, that's fair. That is a good point. That is a good point. But I just think in terms of just the pure sort of casual sadism of it almost, uh, this, this is less rewatchable than The Red Wedding, I would say. It's just... It's just the fact that it just it just holds completely on his face as, as she's sliding the knife into his eyeball. Oh, uh, so horrible. Which I, 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 I horrible. Just, just, that just gets me. It's oh. just like throats thro- throats and eyeballs. Those that's what gets me. And anything involving throats and eyeballs. It's the power difference, it's the helplessness of the characters, but that's what makes it quite twisted and un- unpleasant to watch. It's, uh, mm. It is a nasty one. But thinking of things that make things R-rated, I will say this season is significantly less booby than season one, because season true. one is very objectifying. And I always found that interesting, because it has a female showrunner, that season one was very leery. And I know the games are very leery, but I, I thought it was odd that she chose to carry that across. And I'd say bar one episode in this, I think episode two, which is the one where they have all the hookers into Kermoran, that one I think is quite booby. But other than that, I'm not sure there are any throughout the entire thing. And in fact, what we do get is lots of yaskier nipples when he, for no reason at all, decides to have a wash in a lake. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was that was true to his character. Because <laughs> he was he's he's all about looks and appearance and everything, and he was a bit smelly, uh, and he was complaining about how badly he smelled and everything. It's, so he it's had really to intrinsic, do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I kind of feel that in that one that this probably all comes back to uh, to Joey Beatty, and I imagine he was like, "Fuck you! I've got like an eight pack here. I have worked out like a motherfucker. I'm taking my tunic off, and no one is going yes. to stop me. I am sharing a screen with with Henry Cavill. I have done the work. You're going to show it. All right. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, look, I I think it's possible that the the first season was a bit of a stalking horse to get us all to, you know, invest in the show. All these people out there going, ooh, boobs, I'll I'll get watching this. And now they're watching and therefore, you know, they they will hopefully continue to do so. So, um, yeah, no, significantly less uh, nudity this time around. Although I was grateful for, I think it was Amon... I think it might have been you who warned me about the orgy in episode two, and I yes. didn't watch it at home with my parents, which <laughs> thanks so much for that. You're welcome. 
You're welcome. Like, I, like, it's it's because mm, it's funny because a lot of people suddenly with season one were like, oh, well, clearly they're trying to tap into the Game of Thrones thing. But let's we forget, Game of Thrones took an awful lot of shit, and rightly so, for the early seasons being very, very lewd and objectifying in a way that just felt unnecessarily bolted on. Mm. Um, which again, and I think in the first season of this, it didn't. It wasn't organic. There's a bit when they go in, and there's lots of people having an orgy because the sorcerer likes to be surrounded by illusions of naked women. It's like, that's not an essential plot point. I have to be honest with you. Yeah, no, but much, much less nudity this time. I think it's interesting what Game of Thrones has done to fantasy, isn't it? Because, you know, even a series that is relatively chaste, like uh, Wheel of Time, is a bit boobier on screen. You know, this is pretty booby, which, as you say, comes from the games. Um, mm. There is this perception now that fantasy involves a lot of very, very bloody violence and probably quite a lot of sex. And that hasn't always been the case. Maybe nope. this is part of the whole make fantasy cool you know, campaign that we're all running. Well, I suppose if you go back to like the, the the pulp fantasy stuff, so let's put aside Tolkien for the moment, you know, you had like stuff like Conan and, and the things that appeared in Weird Tales and you'd always get very lurid covers usually showing very scantily clad women in yeah, the Frank, chainmail Frank bikini stuff, armor, yeah. all that sort of a thing. Um, and so it's kind of like, it, it is part of, the fantasy genre going going you know way back like those Boris Vallejo paintings which I can't stand but just as another example so and then and then you think of all those old fantasy movies they'd always even Clash of the Titans had that scene where Andromeda and I remember it very very well I'm sure you do uh where where Andromeda (laughs) you know goes down into the bath and it's you know it's it's a full a full back hall whatever you call that (laughs) the opposite of a full frontal the back of her yeah, but these are kind of high fantasy. These are kind of the Tolkien sort of fantasy rather than the Conan sort of fantasy, or the more so. Um, and I think that is a Game of Thrones specific. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's trends, isn't it? Like certainly the high fantasy you're talking about, whether you mean like David Eddings, obviously Robert Jordan, that kind of stuff. Tolkien, it's it's very chaste. That kind of fantasy is. It's about daring do and adventures and destinies and magic shoes and shit like that. But there's not a lot of like hardcore fucking in them. Let's be honest. Uh, whereas actually, if you get into sort of a lot of the fantasy, what they call grim dark fantasy, whether it be Joe Abercrombie or all of that, like the, the, and George R. R. Martin, there's a lot of sort of like gritty realism and lots of heavy sexual content in there. Uh, it tends to be that that's very much the trend at the moment. And so it makes sense that they were in Game of Thrones, the series. And Witcher, weirdly, because Witcher is dark fantasy, because there's lots and lots of horror influences in, mm. in The Witcher. But again, lots of sexual content too. Mm. I Yeah, I guess. I haven't... Mm. As you know, I've avoided some of that grimdark fantasy because I find it tedious. So. Yeah, I quite like it. <laughs> I love a Shocker. bit of grimdark. Um, yeah, shocking. I know. I know. Nah, give me Scott Lynch any day of the week, frankly. Yes, yes, indeed. So in, let's talk. Let's talk about the action a little bit. So, so the Blaviken fight in season one, which is the episode one fight, is I reckon sort of the action high point of season one. It's really, really good. Do you think there's anything in here that kind of rivals that? So we get the temple fight this time yes. around, don't we? Oh, what do yes, we think of that? The temple fight, absolutely, the temple fight. And also, actually, it was good to see... Now, okay, you might correct me if I'm wrong here, James. He didn't really use his signs at all in the first season, did he? I don't some, remember much... Some, not loads. I don't remember much Igni no. or Ard or, or Erden. He was well Ard, um, but that was about the extent of you it. You know, but there's a hell of a lot of... There's a hell of a lot of... Uh, is it Erden is the shield one? Uh, that's No, that's, uh, no, that's Quen that's the, is the shield. Uh, Quen is the shield. That's it. Erden is the trap. Right. So <laughs> there's a lot of Quen in season two. There's a little bit of Igni, uh, but it was there was a brilliant use of Ard, I would say, in the Temple fight, which 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 Nerds. which I thought which I thought was a high port. Ah, oh, double A R D Ard. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So Ard is this like the force push, yeah? Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So he, when he force pushes <laughs> that guy up in the air and then makes it so he comes down head head f- face first onto his sword, which is sticking up beneath <laughs> him. And I just right. thought, you know, as, as as far as you know, like gratuitous violence goes, that 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 was good fun. <laughs> That was good fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, totally unnecessary. He didn't need it. Oh, yeah, that was good fun. But also that fight, I loved it because he's he's not armed. He's got nothing. He's just standing there, no armour on, no weapons, surrounded by these hard nuts. And, and what, how many of them? Five, six of them, I think. And he's just like, yep, yeah, let's go. Bring it. Yeah. Was, yeah. Is it four? Okay. Yeah. I, I, it, uh, obviously, yeah. you know. I'm reselling the story, so I'm exaggerating. There were 12 of them. And uh, he's just like, he's just shrugs. He's like... And then can, eight more run in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can do this. And and, mm. and off he goes. And it was amazingly choreographed, really good mm. fun. And it actually got a proper sort of like, yes, from me on the side. Yeah, that was that yeah. was really cool, yeah. actually. I, I enjoyed that. The, the, the fight with Renfrey is still the high point for me. Uh, but this, mm. this came close. I did enjoy it. And yeah, all those things you mentioned, Dan, it's good because in 99% of the battles, you know, you know, nobody's going to be able to take Geralt. But they did introduce a little bit of vulnerability there. At the start of that fight, he actually, get, he actually gets nicked. Um, and yes. then sort of, you know, yes. and, and, th- and then he sort of, cause, and, and at the start of that fight, again, he has no swords, no armor. And he's using his fists and he's actually trying, I think, not to kill them. When that becomes clear that that's not going to solve anything, he, he gets a little bit more gruesome and we see the results. The one thing that I would have liked more of, especially at Care Morhen, when we get introduced to all of the witches, it seems that aside from Vesemir and Geralt, the witches aren't as badass as those two. And They're like, I, I want They are Bellens. Hey. They are, come on, they are Bellens. I, I wish that we got more one development from them. I want to be able to name more than Vesemir, Geralt, and Eskil, and we'll talk about Eskil in a second because I have issues with what they did there. But yeah, I would have liked them to, because if, if, if they're making a big deal about, you know, the witches are, you know, bred from children to become these ultimate killing machines, at least two of them should be able to sort of, you know, kill more stuff than they do rather than they just perish. I wouldn't say fairly easily because they're going up against basilisk and whatnot. But still, I wanted them to have more to do action-wise in that regard. Yeah, I, I I wanted a bit more slaying of those basilisks, I think, in that final scene. And it yeah. would have been maybe good if, as well as standing around pointing and laughing at Siri, we had also seen them do some impressive feats in the practice yard and that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, like if she's sort of fallen off the whatever pointy thing that sticks out that she has to jump onto. That is his um, actual name. Thanks. Um, and... <laughs> And they then nimbly just run across the whole thing. The only person we see doing any of that is Geralt himself, and we already know he's impressive. So you're right, it might not have been bad to see a whole line of witchers Mm. doing all of those stunts and then her sort of stumbling along in the rear trying to keep up. That Mm. might have been uh, addressed that concern rather well. That was a scene I loved as well, though, which was a kind of expectation subversion kind of a thing where... They, they goad her into, and she goes up onto the machine and she keeps trying it and she keeps trying it. And of course she gets better and better very quickly because she's mm-hmm. badass. And then Geralt hears, hears about it, you know, that scene, and he goes out. And you're just like, well, from watching previous things where stuff like this has happened, one of two things, he's either going to be yeah. super impressed, well done you, or he's going to be very angry at them for like, what do you think you're doing putting her through this? And he's neither of those things, which I absolutely loved. It was just like he nailed Geralt because he just came out and he went, mm-hmm. so this is happening. 
let's have a watch. And she doesn't quite do it. He just <laughs> says to her, yeah. so close. <laughs> you know? And it, yeah, that was great. That was great. I just loved it. So it was, it was, all, it was all worth it for that. But I have, a, I have a question. I have a genuine question, which, which may show my, my sort of, you know, nerd ignorance here. And I, I, think, I think James might be able to answer it. Oh, Why God, does Gero have yellow eyes, <laughs> uh, but, but the other witches don't? Because I always thought he had yellow eyes because of the mutagens. Yes, I must admit, I don't know the answer to that, and I have wondered the same thing. Because they oh. all seem to have... That, like, there's a lot of contact lens game in this oh, show. Oh, so much. Like, it, everyone <laughs> has a pair of lenses, whether they need them or not. It seems to just be they just issued them as they sign on. Yeah. But, yeah, so he has the sort of cat's pupils in the game, traditionally, which they don't have in this because he just look weird. But, yes, I don't know why he has yellow eyes in the other Because I, as, as you, thought he has yellow eyes because he's a fucking witcher, and he quaffs mutagens, like, you know, it's, it's a side effect of that. But uh, I'm sure I could look it up. Do you know what? I'm going to Google. Why does... Why just get right. yellow eyes. We'll talk amongst ourselves while you, yeah. you go on Google. This, this is this is the expertise in this room. Oh, it just is astonishing. Geralt has yellow eyes due to the mutations he had to undergo yeah. in order to become a full-fledged witcher. Yeah. The process is known as the trial of the grasses. It's just they've all done the trial of the grasses. So why don't they all have yellow eyes? All right, I'm, I'm looking up. I'm looking up on Reddit did now. Did the budget finally? Did somebody have an allergy to contact lenses? I mean, well, did the budget not, come to play? That's not the show to be on if you've got an allergy to contact lenses. Eskel's well, eyes are apparently half yellow according to reddit so, so it must be true it also may be like how long they've been around you know it may be that um vesemir has them and we didn't particularly notice but that the others haven't been around as much haven't drunk as many of the potions because mm, they all have yellow, yeah. like they all have those kind of eyes in the game all mm. the witches do as i as i recall it so yeah I, I i genuinely don't know okay well i'm glad i'm glad that's that's a question that the the people can can come up with an answer for. Send us your answers. Everybody. Maybe they blew the contact lens budget on the principal cast and just didn't have room for everyone else. You know, there's only so As much. As for the whole Eskel uh, plot, which I did enjoy, I feel like they missed the trick in having him die fairly early on. And then after the death, having us get more of that Eskel Geralt relationship and doing it that way. Because surely if you know more about the Eskel and Geralt relationship and you know how they have each developed as brothers and more of that chemistry before the actual death then when the death comes it will mean more than it does in the second episode where we've only just met the dude so that was a little bit i wouldn't say disappointing but it could have hit much more than it ended up hitting when he turns into a leshy plant man yeah Good production uh, design and, and costume and everything else um, when, when it when it came to that. I think I think it was a step up on the previous season in that regard. You think of the mm. Chernobyl as well, um, which was done really well, and the Love Chernobyl. At the end. Chernobyl, thank you. <laughs> uh, 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 and the Myriapod was fantastic. I love the Myriapod. Which yeah, one's that? Cool. So that's the big centipede thing with the scorpion yeah. tail oh, and, like and, and, and the and the weird sort of sheepy head. <laughs> Um, no, thank you. That, no. was, that was that was my favourite monster. I I must admit I really liked the Brooksa. I thought mm. uh, yeah, I that thought was that good. was a lot of fun because again because that's the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale, isn't it? Like Twisted Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast. Yeah. But I like this sort of whole crust. It's like what is a monster? Where she is a monster but isn't a monster, but's fighting against her nature. Whereas he is a man who looks like a monster but actually is more of a monster than any of the others. And I just thought that was a that was a lovely little twist on that. It's one mm-hmm. of the the one of the ones I like the most from the book actually. Yeah. 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 I really like that opening episode. Uh, gave me sort of Monster of the Week vibes, which I kind of, half of me wishes they stuck with that structure a little bit rather than just go with this, go with this sprawling series after that, which showcases so much and so many different things that we have to follow and keep track of um, <laughs> See, I love throughout that the stuff. entire season. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, and I think uh, Christopher Hiju, uh, who of course was yeah. in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. 
he, he was fantastic. And the mix of prosthetics and CGI with his character was really well done. Yeah. But the, yeah, the, the yeah, thing is, it's not really, it's, it's not as episodic as season one, but I, I kind of, I like the fact you can rely on it. There will either be a monster or there'll be a kick-ass fight or both in each episode. So even though they are doing this longer, there's not really a kind of, there's not an ep, like a bridging episode or a filler episode. They're, they're always going to throw something in. It's very, it's very crowd pleasy I think, in that mm. sense, in a good way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think you're right about a little bit more Monster of the Week might be nice. Um, just a little bit. I felt like there was a lot of time spent with the elves and I wasn't very mm. interested. And it got more interesting and, and you probably did have to spend that time with him beforehand to, for all that stuff to work at the end, which I do understand now, but, uh, you know, they they bored me at times. And um, <laughs> She goes yeah. fully dark when she goes yeah. like killing everyone's yeah. children. Like, that is bleak. That is, yeah. yeah. She yeah. gets biblical. But I think, you know, she does. Yeah. Yeah, the anti, well, not the anti, but there's definitely Passover vibes in that in that scene. But I think you know, that speaks to some of what frustrates me about The Witcher right now. And there's there's, a, there's less of it in season two than there was in season one, but it feels like they're still getting all their ducks in a row for season three now that all these storylines are finally converging. And I get why they decided to do, do it this way because as we now know, everyone is after Siri and we needed to sort of get and understand why that is the case. But yeah, there's just a lot of Jump a lot. A lot happens. Not a lot is resolved in this season, and I'm hoping that now that all the ducks are in a row and all the characters are together and all the storylines are more fleshed out in season three, there's less of the fanning about and more of just doing it and really seeing how everything coalesces and comes together. Uh, because now we've done all the hard work. Well, this is something that Lauren Schmidt Hissrich mentioned, where she said uh, she was saying when she was adapting this, like, not a lot happens in Blood of Elves. It's mm. not a particularly eventful book. So I had to pull other stuff mm. into it. Like it's mm. it's like quite story light in many ways. So actually I think there's some, some time of contempt should be a more interesting yeah. It should be a more action packed one. That said, I think they did a very good job of turning that book into, you know, an action packed series. I really like this. Mm. And actually, you know, mm. I got chills when they first got to Kaer Morhen. Are they multiplying? They were indeed <laughs> multiplying. Uh, and, uh, and you know, the Battle at the End, which is kind of a nice. Uh, did any of you watch Nightmare of the Wolf, which was the animated kind of Witcher Not prequel Not show? Yet. It's Vesemir's story when he was young. But that's the Battle of Kaer Morhen, where all the witches, witches essentially get their asses kicked and are like largely killed uh, at Kaer Morhen. And when he it's all kind of fucked up. So they're kind of there are echoes of that in the in the final battle as well. I enjoyed the tug of war of sorts in that final sort of battle between with what Siri is going through, her fake family versus mm. the found family that she's found uh with the witches at Kaer Morhen, which you know again yeah. gives all those scenes where she's training with the witches and when she's sort of you know conversing with them in the halls when she's eating all that sort of stuff, it gives that it makes that more important given yeah. everything that happens in the final battle. Uh, I, I think it worked really well. I mean, they now do have her on hand. They could ask her to donate a little bit of blood and make some more <laughs> fucking super ser- soldier serum, they could, you know, yes. and, and you know, <laughs> replenish their ranks a little bit. I would, if I were Vesemir, and I'm not telling him what to do, but like, I feel like that would be my priority <laughs> number one right now with three witchers in my bank. Yeah. And only because, because I think it's only, I want to say, I don't know the exact math, but I think it's one in three survive the trial of the grasses. Sure. So it doesn't go well. So they'll need like a, a yeah. stock of kids from sure. somewhere. Well, they'll they'll need a way they to stabilise the process. How about that? <laughs> 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 so that we don't lose two out of every three kids. My goodness. 
I don't know why they were so worried about giving giving Siri the mutagen because if it came from her blood to begin with, surely she's pretty much almost you know like vaccinated whatever against the yes <laughs> yeah you would yes. think rather yeah. wouldn't you yeah um, and and so, there is there is that implication that he did give it to her right that the he's sort of holding the serum that now looks empty afterwards. Oh, I don't know that he did. I think he got stopped from that because it's like when they go through the trial of the grasses, it's it's quite a long, like agonizing, torturous ordeal when they go through it. It's not something they just sort of whack in their arm. Okay, because like there's, old... there's a shot of the syringe that looked significant. That's all. That's interesting. Oh, okay. That's then, interesting. Not, not that I noticed. Yeah, maybe I'm, I maybe noticed, I'm misreading. Maybe you're projecting. Who knows? But yeah, they're going to need a squad. Yes. They're, they're going to need more people <laughs> because everyone... Uh, especially if if Geralt and Yennefer and Siri want to stay in Kaer like everyone is going to be converging on them sooner rather than later. So, well, that's why that's why they said he's going to go away. Guess what? Geralt oh. said we can't we can't stay here now because it's drawing too much attention here. But I don't think they need a squad. They got they got like the most badass witcher ever, the most powerful sorceress who's got a mojo back, or the feet Fojo if it's a woman. I think. Um, <laughs> um, and and they've got they've got Siri who's just like you know the the the, the mistress of, of of global destruction. She's the starry-eyed yeah. daughter of chaos. Yes. Yeah. If they yeah. if they train her right, she could be the best of both worlds, which is frightening to think about in some ways. Um, mm. Yeah. That's so yeah, she's, I, she's super cool in the video game. She's like okay. she's like like yeah she's like really good with a sword and she can teleport around the battlefield. The Witcher is three is the one I should pick up. Do, 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 do I need to go yes. to the Witcher two first? Or? No, you don't need to have played any of the others at all. Okay. Uh, Witcher three is all. I'm you heading need. to PlayStation Store right after this. <laughs> one thing I did want to mention just very quickly before we go to to listener questions. One moment which I do love, which is Yaskier on the dock. Now, apart from the fact that his own ego and arrogance causes the death of an elderly elf. Uh, yeah, other than I that, like I did that. quite like the fact that they did the, like, he's unable to let it go and the guy's, like, taking the, basically slagging off the screenwriting from season one. I thought yeah. that was a lot of fun. That was, <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was, that was that really was good. Lo- lovely little in-joke. I do enjoy a little in-joke. But, yes, let us go on to listener questions. Let's see what we've got. I will have a look in the inbox, see what we have here. Ah, Val Shopaholic does not disappoint. <laughs> and she says, I assume this is aimed at Helen. Season two questions. Is anyone else disappointed by the distinct lack of shirtless Geralt? <laughs> Obviously it would be, it would be, uh, well, no, you know, okay. Let's hope for equality of exploitation. Mm. That is what I actually want from my media. It is absolutely fine if there are boobs in it, but there should also be man boobs. That is my feeling. Yeah. In the last one, yes, we got an enormous number of boobs, like an astonishing array of boobs. Some of them spectacular, I have to say. But we also <laughs> got Gerald in the bath. So I feel like there was some kind of balance there. Is that parity? I'm not sure no, man it's boobs not. and boob it's boobs give you parity. parity. I think we needed to see a silver sword more I, to balance it out. I think you overestimate the aesthetic appeal <laughs> of certain male body parts. Yeah. I'm just so, saying. It's not a fair trade. Testicles for breasts is not a, is not a fair trade. Yeah. So it, it isn't a fair trade, but at the same time, it's the very least you should have. Yeah, I think. Right, okay. So anyway, Fair enough. Yeah, I would, it I, is I would, noted. I would just like to say for the record, you said that question was for Helen, but I actually, I will never grow bored of looking at Henry Cavill as Geralt. That's fair. I, I am honestly, utterly, utterly besotted by him. It's just every time he's on that screen with his frown on and everything like that, I just sit there just thinking, he, he's, he's just amazing. He's just amazing. <laughs> he's just, he's, I just wish I had white hair and yellow eyes and I just look like him. 
He is. He is very beautiful. He, somebody said on, on Twitter once that, um, you know, there's the phrase, he scrubs up well. Mm. He doesn't. He grimes up good. Mm. Scrubs down well. Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. He didn't, as, as Superman, he didn't interest me at all. Nah, there was, nah. It was nary a twitch in my nethers. But as Geralt, I am just hard all the time. Oh, your nethers are all over the place. Yeah. Yes. No, I, more I, I information than any of us needed. Do you think his wig, he was like his like his wiggy wig, I thought was better this season. Like it felt more like a real wig as opposed to season's one uh, wig, which was less no, I just more think, wiggy. No, it's just like it's kind of like in any relationship, you kind of you you grow used to certain things and, and, and you, you kind of see past them and, and you kind of settle in and get comfortable. I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, mm. perhaps that's it's it. good hair though. It does work for him. Yeah. I have oh. zero experience with wigs, so I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just going to go with Dan. I've got got zero experience of wigs. What are you saying? (laughs) Dan is all natural. (laughs) It's starting to go grey, but I don't think it'll... Starting? It's going (laughs) grey, but it wouldn't ever be a nice, nice, like, white, like Geralt's. And, you know, uh, my eyes are too too dark. And not yellowy enough. Not yellowy enough. Maybe if I I went into the kitchen and and made a cocktail of of various chemicals and Mm. swallowed them, I might might, might get yellow eyes. What could go wrong? Um, I would, like, people at home, please do not do that. Dan, you have very nice streaky hair. Well done. Thank you. That is not, there are no decoctions and mutagens under your sink in the kitchen. No mutagens under the sink. It's just drain cleaner. Um, Barry White, the love walrus, asks... The last scenes. What the Witcher is happening there then? <laughs> Which I assume is the final battle. The wild hunt is coming. Well, exactly. The wild hunt is coming. If you don't know who the wild hunt is, then I guess join the queue of people who don't know who the wild hunt is. <laughs> so if I say they're kind of like dark elf type people, they want Siri, um, and mm. they're going to come and get her. They're, they're sort of actually the wild hunt is from mythology, isn't it? Norse mythology, yeah. I think. Anyway, yeah. so it's kind of it's it's a thing before before this, but. Uh, I think that was that was Sam Hazeldean was the actor that played the leader of the Wild Hunt, I believe, mm. even though you couldn't see his face very well underneath his bony armour. He looked very Kurgan, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Which is, no, this is not a criticism, to be clear. I was reading that the Wild Hunt is one of the harbingers of Ragnarok, um, yeah. which is the thing that, if we're going by what Trish said after her trip to Siri's mind, is the thing that Siri will uh, set off and they won't be able to stop her, mm. etc., uh, so mm-hmm. that is what season three. Except they guess. probably will. Though. Except they probably will. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, I suppose we talk about the end scenes. Then also, we get to see all the kings sitting around that table mm. and that's queens. Right, yeah. Sorry, all the, all, and Queen all, all, Maeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so that's kind Queen Maeve of... from the boys, Helen. No, a different Queen. There's lots of Queen Maeves. I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> Homelander was not in that scene. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> carry on. But yeah, no, because obviously this series brought Redania into it. They weren't really in the first series because it was all Cintra and Nilfgaard. Graham McTavish. Yes, it was Dijkstra, <laughs> who of course is a is a important character uh, in well in the video games. Uh, I know him from yeah. the video games. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so you kind of got a sense of the widening world and this kind of you know the the, the gang the gang of of monarchs all sort of getting together and trying to uh, well I don't know what are they trying to do? That is the question. Mm-hmm. Trying to use Siri's power for themselves. Everyone, everyone well, is saying, hey, Siri, in season three. They, they are, although saying. I get the impression they're less about her power. They don't seem to register yeah. that so much. They're more about her position as heir to the throne of Sintra. Exactly. So then they can mm. say So that's Sintra. interesting. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it does feel like that, the kind of, um, the Game of Thrones, if you will, here, the political machinations are a little bit basic bitch in some regards. Like mm. They're not the most labyrinthine, but I'm still enjoying them. Like, yeah, I like, yeah. I do like, I know I'm on, you, you've kind of turned off by it, but I enjoy the political side of it and the kind of manoeuvrings of it. And I like the idea that people were, like the initial 
reason for Nilfgaard's invasion. They were like, well, that's why Nilfgaard's after Siri because they want to legitimize their claim. And then it was just like, no invading empire that has just wiped out an entire city is all that bothered about legitimizing their claim. There has to be more at play. And of course there is because he's her dad and she has magic blood. Yeah. So yeah, I do like where we've ended up. I just think that the journey to get there was a little bit haphazard, but like now that we've ended up where we have and the storylines feel like they're converging. If season three has that focus along with the overarching plot that we now seem to have more clarity on, I think season three could easily be the best of best season of The Witcher yet. It's going to be mm. badass. Yeah. It is going to be badass. Isn't it? It's, yes. As long as there's a monster in every episode and or a brutal fight. And or a bathhouse scene. And naked naked Geralt. Yes, a bath or, scene. And, or, and yes. maybe, maybe we could bring back some boobies. Uh, it's gonna I'm, with an I mean, equal amount of man boobies and Chernobogs. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. A parity of boobiness, as as Helen said. Um, yeah, no. I just hope it doesn't take two years this time. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, COVID and all that. You know, we've got the um, the prequel series uh, to keep us company in the meantime. So, That's true. indeed, we That's true. have. Yes. Yes. Also, by the way, just slightly distracting thing: where they shot some of this series because it was all shot here in the UK, but they shot some of it in Surrey, and I recognise it because I've ridden my mountain bike around there. It was, in fact, not shot here in the UK. It was, in fact, shot in Budapest, Dan, but they did do some of it here. Really? Yes. That's not what I read. Well, sorry. I, I read that it was entirely shot over here. No. But I definitely, they definitely shot some of it in Surrey, and I definitely, it was in a place where I've ridden my mountain bike. Yeah, because you can actually see Dan on his mountain bike in the background. Of with, my, with, with my real hair trailing behind me in the wind. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I think that just about wraps up our Witcher spoiler special. As ever, big thanks for tossing a coin to the Spoiler Special podcast, helping us fund all our ongoing pod endeavours. I tell you what the next Spoiler Special is going to be, but honestly, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> and you'll need to ask Chris about that. But I will say that if you enjoyed this TV-centric chat, then I heartily recommend oh, you check out the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast, is. which drops every Monday and sees myself, Boyd and Beth talk through all the big releases coming up on the small screen. Uh, of course, the regular Empire podcast uh, will be in your ears on Friday. Uh, but all that remains is to say goodbye to my fellow students of the School of the Wolf. Squadcast names Care More Helen. Excellent. Toodaloo. Dan de Lyon. Oh, no, it's pronounced Dandelion. Oh, I see what you did there. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were being a bit French. Yes. Uh, if you know, if you play the video game, you'll get it straight away. If you don't, yes. look up what Yaskia actually means. That is what Yaskia <laughs> means. And Bewitched. I'm on woman. Peace. I'm off to the PlayStation Store to download The Witcher 3. <laughs> as well you should. As well you should. And goodbye from me, the worst Witcher. True. I've always said that. <laughs> I'm off to see a man about a Chernobog. Goodbye. Goodbye. 